I know some of you may uh, be more blessed than myself and have seen these in person. If you're not familiar with them, they are, these are the giant redwoods of California. Uh, they are truly amazing. What you see at the base of that tree is some six firefighters gathered around General Sherman. He is currently the largest living organism on the face of planet Earth by volume. A healthy redwood grows about 10 feet per year. And they grow anywhere from 200 to currently the tallest tree, not being that one, a tree by the name of Hyperion, 379 feet tall. They're amazing organisms, though. For something so big, so massive, so tall, and dwarfing us as people, if you see the tiny white speck at the bottom of that picture, that's a woman standing around these monsters of uncomprehensible size and of unimaginable towering presence. Yet you'd be surprised probably to learn, as I was the first time I kind of dove into redwoods, that they have an incredibly shallow root system. So you would wonder why would they not, you know, fall over in high winds if they're standing that tall above all the other trees in the forest. And the reason is because their roots, instead of going down, go out. Redwoods only grow in groves. They only grow together. And they have a very unique distinction amongst trees. There's a couple of other varieties that do this where they intertwine their root systems together. But something that redwoods can do that no other tree can do, they can actually halt their own growth to give their nutrients to other trees that are struggling. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It, it's, it's when one is sick or struggling, they can sense it and slow down, inhibit their own growth to care for the tree that is struggling. And what I described just now is oftentimes how, when we read Scripture, the church is supposed to function. How Jesus intended his church to be growing, but intertwining and holding one another up. Quick to help a brother or a sister who is hurting or discouraged or in need. In a weird way, the body of Christ should be like the redwoods of California. And we pass those nutrients to one another through something called encouragement. I've written several bulletin articles over the last couple of weeks and even months talking about our connection together as a church, our need for our church family. I don't use the word need lightly, and you're going to hear me circle back to that in just a moment, but our legitimate need for the church now to actually look and function like the church in Acts chapter 2, where we genuinely are involved in the lives of one another And the article last week, I referenced Hebrews chapter 10, so I want to begin there again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, we're here, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as we see the day approaching. So in light of this verse, this is what I want us as a church family to deal with this morning. Why are we here? Why are we in this place? Because something that COVID taught us, unfortunately, and I do mean that, unfortunately, 
is that in many ways, the, the Sunday morning function of the church was done in our living rooms. And when we are shut in, when we are sick, when we are traveling, that's not at all what I'm addressing this morning. We have people joining us online who can't be with us in person, and that is 100% understandable. But we learned we can sing in our pajamas. We learned we can hear a sermon in our pajamas, and if we didn't like Bill's sermon, we could just turn on one that we did like, because YouTube is full of them. And so people built up their favorite preachers, their hit list of I I just prefer this guy. And so you could literally attend church anywhere. We even came and got communion cups like we use now and had that in our home. But the one thing that we cannot replicate in our homes is this. Looking someone in the eye and seeing the joy or the pain that they have and knowing that just the smallest word of encouragement could completely reroute and redirect their life, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds and encouraging. This comes from the Greek word alelon, which literally means one another, and and that there's power in that statement, the power of one another, because in a world where we are becoming increasingly isolated and separated, don't have to go grocery shopping anymore. You can just go and do grocery pickup, which sometimes is very nice. Don't have to go into a restaurant. I can door dash that. I don't have to attend church with somebody else. I can just watch that online. I don't have to engage with the culture around me. I can isolate. I can, I can put myself in a silo. But I promise you, in a world that is compl- continually growing in anger towards Christianity, we are stronger together than we are apart. Maybe that's why the New Testament contains over one dozen verses that fall into the category of the one another passages. This morning we're going to be, spend the majority of our time in both of Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica, beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. If you want to turn there with me, that's where we'll, we'll spend the bulk of our time. It says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So with that in mind, do you have the back of your brother and sister in Christ? Beyond what you say, do they feel it? Have they experienced it? Have they felt the words become actions in their life? Because there is one simple place we can start But that is exactly what it is. It's a start. And it's on the pew in front of you. And you've heard Bill talk about this. These little blue cards right here that are on the seat back in front of you, they're literally called encouragement cards. They are encouraging cards. Just meant to be a note you can drop to somebody. You put your name and the name of the person you want to go to. You leave it in your pew. We have people every week who come by and pick them up. The church mails them out for you. It's a word of encouragement. And sometimes that stranger's word of encouragement will mean far more than you could ever imagine. There's a PBS special on the life of Abraham Lincoln that detailed personal items that were found in Lincoln's pockets the night after he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Among them was a folded, well-worn newspaper clipping that was stated that you could tell it had been opened and reclosed many times. And in that clipping, 
it said something very simple. That Abraham Lincoln was a good man and a great leader. Now, in hindsight for us, we're like, well, yeah. We know what he accomplished in this country. We know how he led. But what we don't really remember is how difficult of a time it was because we weren't there in, his con- in this country. Do you know that almost every day towards the end of Lincoln's presidency, there was an effigy of him hanging on the White House lawn, being hung by his own people. So it brings a little bit more context to the idea of needing a bit of encouragement. And yet here was this writer, this stranger that Lincoln did not know at all, who appreciated his leadership and sacrificial efforts. This is how the PBS documentary ended. This was the last quote in the documentary. It said, there is something strangely poignant about the picture of the world's most influential man privately seeking silent solace in the words of encouragement that had been offered by a stranger. It serves as a vivid reminder to us that while some might need it more than others, at different times and points of their life, we all still need it. We need regular doses of encouragement. I've known couples, and I'm going to speak on one specifically, who have prayed together throughout their life, not just at meals, but whether it be a on the couch in the evening after the kids went to bed or something, they held hands and they prayed together. But one couple in particular that I know that did this felt themselves still having, having distance between them. And so they added one piece to it that they continue to do to this day. And it's the idea of just saying one encouraging thing about the other person that day. Rarely something that was very big or monumental, something as simple as thank you for bringing me lunch. Thank you for noticing that I got my hair done today. It actually encouraged me to know you, you looked at me today. And that sounds like something so small. And yet on hard days, small things mean a lot. And it was a beautiful reminder for me upon learning that about them of what we all need. Number two this morning. When we obey that one another command we find that encouragement can make a person less vulnerable to sinning. Back to the book of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 3, verse 13, the author says this, he said, but encourage one another daily, every day. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So today, encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we are encouraged daily, showing how high of a priority this is supposed to carry in our lives. And if it stands that discouragement makes us vulnerable or more vulnerable to sinning, then encouragement leads us to be emotionally healthier people. And I realize, as I told you, number two, that I skipped number one. So let me go back to that because I know some of you are really, that's bothering you right now. And you won't hear anything else that I say. (laughs) But we've already dealt with it. Encouragement is a great representation of who Jesus Christ is. He didn't wait for opportune times for people. Okay, now I'm available for encouragement to you between the hours of one and three on the road to Damascus. You will have to find me there and that is where I will be. No, people came up to him at the most inopportune of times. And yet he, he made himself available, not just when it was convenient, but in going about his day. And in order to be a friend like that, in order to have relationships like that, we have to be present in, in people's lives. 
We have to have a physical presence where we are going through life on some level with them. Even if it's only a couple hours here and there a week. Our brothers and sisters here at church. That's what we're, we're talking about. They have to know that we care. They have to know that we, we want to encourage them. That we want to be there. That we want to go through the valleys and the mountaintops with them. So we are encouraged daily. Some of you did not have the blessing that others of us did to grow up in a Christian home. Uh, One of my friends from high school did not. She grew up in a really difficult family and actually moved out when she was 16. When she was 25, she moved back home and actually took in her niece, who was 16. So 25-year-old raising a 16-year-old. What could go wrong? And yet, if you were to ask her why she did it, her answer would be this. I did it because I wish someone would have done the same thing for me when I was younger. Instead of seeing someone else go through what she went through, she chose to be involved and chose the path of encouragement, chose the path of support, chose the path of pouring into someone instead of letting their vessel just remain empty the way hers was. Oftentimes, we even unintentionally discourage when we might intend to encourage, just to bring a moment of levity. Because I know this is a, 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 can be a really heavy thing. You know, I, I didn't really expect you to get that promotion. Congratulations. Just uh, didn't know you had it in you. That's a, a great picture of you. I didn't even recognize that it was you. Or the best one that you can give Bill next week is, It was a really good sermon. I didn't even come close to falling asleep this time. It'll it'll land right there on the strip. (laughs) But when we get into the daily habit of encouraging, just as the writer of Hebrews talked about, because for some people it is easier than others to just offer an encouraging word, but sometimes once you get a little better at it, once you kind of find your groove, it's not awkwardness, it's just you. When we make it a part of our DNA, a part of who we are, A part of what we know as the called people of Jesus Christ, we are called to do. It's always given as an imperative statement. Never a suggestion. This is what you do. You are the church. You are God's prepared people. Prepare one another. Steve and Lori Zeller uh, have the unique, I guess, uh, distinction of having three sons who all played in the NBA. A lot of pressure right there. And he tells a story in his book how his uh, oldest son, Luke, once was in the sixth grade and was playing on an AAU team, which is just a traveling team throughout the summer. And Luke had had an especially rough game, and so Steve was sitting there in the front seat and all the way home for three hours was critiquing what his 11-year-old son had done. I have a sixth grader who played summer basketball all summer. He said after three hours, he looked over at his son and tears are streaming down his face. And he said, Dad, is there anything I did right? It is amazing how one cutting comment can tear away years of encouragement. And so Steve made this decision from that moment on. 
I'm going to tell you one good thing. And he apologized profusely to Luke. And he said, I'm going to tell you one good thing that you did. And if you want me to redirect you, I will. And tell you what I saw, but I will never do it again if you don't ask. Discouragement is like a demolition project. All it does is tear things down. But encouragement is a construction project. Sometimes you start at the bottom. We're starting with a clean slate. But we choose which part we fall on. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to spend a lot of our, the rest of our time there. Chapter 4 and chapter 5. And we find ourselves with our third point this morning, and that is this. And this is something that's very familiar to you if you've grown up reading and understanding time in the New Testament letters, and specifically the letters from Paul. And that is this, that encouragement can help you finish the race. Sometimes when you are in a literal race, you need encouragement to help you finish. Paul uses that analogy of athletics often, and this is a benefit that he used to encourage Christians. But it's important for us to understand what was going on to the church in Thessalonica and why what we're about to read would have made sense to them in a way that we do not at all have to deal with now. You see, he was writing this in response to the deep emotional pain that that church would have experienced at the hand of persecution and actually martyrdom where believers were being killed for their faith. These were people's friends, not just a fringe person on the edge of their community or of their society. These were their relationships. And so he actually dives into something that's not really connected to the encouragement part of it. He actually talks about the end times a little bit, but it is 100% still connected to the one another aspect of it. Look at at verse 18 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, what words? (laughs) Let's go back to verse 16. Verses 16 and 17 say, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, he's talking to a group of people who have lost I'm reminding you, this is not the end. You will see them again. You will be back together. They will rise first. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The life you are in right now, the life I am in right now, is not the life that we will always have. And so it's weird to think in some ways about the end of time for these people being a time of encouragement. But he's reminding them that good can still come from the time that you have left here on this earth. That you will be together again by talking about the hope they have in heaven and the hope of being reunited with the, those, that group of family of faith when Jesus will return. So in the very next verse, our chapter, we have a chapter break here, so... Don't go along with what the screen says. Read your Bibles, read your phones, or close your eyes, because I messed up the next slide, so it'll be fine. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not yet write to you, for all of you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness. 
So this day should be surprised like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong in the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. You have hope because of Jesus. I have hope because of Jesus. Not just hope for eternity, but hope for tomorrow. We live in the light, not the darkness. The sin has been exposed in this world. And we have the ability to make a conscious decision on who we will serve. So, jump down to verse 11. should sound familiar because we've already looked at it once. Keeping all these things in mind. Therefore, encourage one another... And build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You have hope. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, and you are prepared. This could have just as easily been written to us, although the context would certainly be different. How would it, be, how would it sound today? Well, brothers and sisters, because you live in America, you are a people of plenty. But you are also a people who are beginning to experience what it feels like to be hated for loving me. Not in a way that the people who this letter was originally written to, for fear of your life, for fear of a stone coming through and taking your life. If you speak out because of your faith, but you are beginning to feel it. it. So we pour courage into one another's heart. Alelo. If the goal, if your goal and if my goal as a Christian is to have peace, prosperity, pleasure, and the avoidance of pain, these are terrible days in which to live. But if your goal as a Christian is like that of the Apostle Paul, to share Christ with as many people as possible, there has probably never been a better time in the history of this country to live than right now. Because we have never been further from the cross as a country than we are right now. Which means the fields are ripe. It doesn't mean that they are wanting to hear it, but it means the lost are present. And it is our call as the called people of God to share that. And as this world continues to become a darker place, chapter 5, verse 4, the hope of the gospel shines that much more bright. And strangely... Throughout history, if you were to go back and look, the times when Christianity has grown the most is when things were the darkest. So let's start where we began. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? That is the day of Jesus Christ's return. I don't know if you've ever been to a high school track meet, but in my 13 years of youth ministry, I went to more than I would have liked. Some events are more engaging than others. By the fourth round of the discus, I just want to say, oh, look, there it went again. Yay. The 3,200 meters, I had one student who went to college on a track scholarship. That is a mind-numbing race. It is just round and round and round. And in the last lap, you're not even paying attention half the time. Oh, yay, okay. But if you engage in the Olympics the way that I always have, 
The 800 and the 400 are exciting. The 100 meters happen so fast. You know, that's where they always crown the world's fastest man and the world's fastest woman. But you're talking about 10 seconds and it's done. But in the 400 meters, it's one full lap around the track. And as they get started, they are at full speed. They are galloping. It's like quarter horses just taking off down the track. But as they hit that last 100 meters, the last turn, whether it's a relay or anything else, you stand. You get excited. I've seen parents just losing their minds. Just now, screaming unintelligible words, babble. You know, the, the tongues had hit them in that moment. But just, go, oh, you can do it. You can, and it doesn't matter if your child is in first or last place. You scream all the same. You encourage all the same. Because the race is coming to an end. And you know that they are gassed. They have given it everything they had. And they need that encouragement. Last year, I ran my first half marathon. This year, I'm running four half marathons and a full marathon. And there is something so, so true, if you have ever run, to be said for those moments when you are feeling done. Someone sees your name on your bib and just encourages you by name, a total stranger. That card that you may have unfolded 20, 30, 40, 50 times, you can do it. You're not alone. I'm here with you. It's one thing for us to believe that to be true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's another thing entirely to need someone to say it to us. One final thought. When my home was burning uh, almost a year ago, exactly, a couple of people from this church showed up at my house. Not to help what do you do? You just sit there with them and you be present. And it's one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. I wasn't expecting it. But God knew I needed it. Jesus is standing for us. He is cheering us on. You are not alone. You can do it. I am here waiting for you at the finish. Don't give up. Don't stop running. Don't let all of the stumbling blocks that are in front of you be the thing that keeps you from crossing this line. This encouragement topic comes up so often because we are in desperate need of it. So find people in your life who you can cheer on, who you can lift up, who you can encourage in spite of all the discouragement in this world. Find ways to do it even when it is unexpected and unnecessary because you never know what's going on here and here, inside, that can make the difference in their life. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. If you need encouragement, if you need to just have something as simple as someone pray for you. Or if you know you've been putting off beginning that relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time. If we as a church can stand by you encouraging you, we would love to do that for you. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?